0: Hello friends, and welcome back to the British Royal Fanatic Podcast. I'm Hayden, your American host with a passion for British Royal history. Hello everyone, hi, how are we doing today? Good, I really do hope. I hope everybody's well. We have some Royal updates that have come through the wire since we last met this time last week. Netflix has announced that the 1995 Panorama interview with The Princess of Wales is slated to join the collection as a documentary. It will join the Andrew Morton documentary In Her Own Words, which are the collection of raw recordings paired with photos and video clips that were used for Morton's 1992 tell-all book Diana, Her True Story. As I said in the episode over the interview, the entirety of the interview is really challenging to procure in its entirety. You can find short clips on YouTube, but the entire thing is really difficult to find. I haven't been able to locate one at all. I was only able to locate the transcript. So the fact that the interview is joining Netflix soon is a very big deal. I do not know when it will be officially on Netflix and whether it'll be country specific. I know certain countries have different Netflix content, so who knows, but it's coming nonetheless. Additionally, with more Princess Diana news, it has been discussed and it looks like it'll be going forward that a plaque will be added to the apartment building where Diana lived before she joined the royal family. Diana lived in a flat that she shared with four other flatmates. And this was depicted very well in season four of The Crown before she officially joined the family. The apartment resides in Colherne Court in Earl's Court. She lived there from 1979 to 1981. So they are going to be honoring her with a plaque outside there to commemorate the late Princess of Wales. And the last bit of Diana news... Broadway here in America has announced that the hit musical about the last few years of her life, titled Diana, is set to return to Broadway in December of 2021. It'll officially be entering previews, and it's also slated to be joining Netflix as well right before the pandemic hit they did a pro shot of the musical and it's been advertised that in the next few months it will officially be joining netflix i have mixed feelings about it but i've heard it is a very good show so i'm willing to give it a chance photos of kristen stewart have been released and have leaked into the press as she is currently filming a movie about princess diana and she is depicting the late princess of wales Apparently, the movie is set to depict the early 90s. I've heard and read in various news sources that the timeline is supposed to be right before the split in separation in 1992, and it's the process of her slowly gaining control of herself and distancing herself from the family. I have really mixed feelings about this, even if the photos do look promising. Kristen Stewart just isn't an actress that I like. I don't really, I'm not really drawn to her work, and that's just my own opinion. Emma Corrin did such a good job portraying Diana. but of course, comparisons are going to be made, and I'm willing to, again, give it a chance, but I'm very apprehensive about this. In more royal news, we are coming off Easter, and we have officially entered April. The Queen has been undertaking engagements in person now they are very few and far between but she is out and about again and everybody is floored and excited to see her out and about the duke of edinburgh even joined the queen for a private easter service at church so that's also a hint that his health is getting at least a little bit better But across all the working royals, the engagements are resuming, not only virtual, but in-person. In fact, it's looking like more and more in-person engagements are happening, which is wonderful, and it's really helping the morale of the country. (laughs) I can imagine that they are just as happy to get out of the house as we are when we can from time to time. Plans are slowly underway as the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge celebrate their 10-year wedding anniversary at the end of the month. No news about anything formal have come out yet, I could have just missed those stories, but a lot of news outlets are having fun reporting on it and articles reflecting their time together as the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge have been coming out. Ten years of marriage is a massive milestone, and you can bet that We will be covering that in a future episode. No other concrete news has come out as the family is still working things out from the fallout with the interview with the Duke and Duchess of Sussex and Oprah. There's a lot of conspiracy around this couple now, and all that I know concretely is that the general public opinion of them is starting to fall. It has come forward that the Archbishop of Canterbury denied the claim that a private ceremony took place before the official wedding that was televised, which directly contradicts what Megan said in the interview. There is a lot of gossip and hearsay happening right now, as I had expected, and as I had expected, the tabloid media is having a field day with this. It's been almost a month now, and I doubt this will be going away anytime soon. It's really unclear what is fact and what is fabrication, what is being made up by smaller news outlets or tabloid press, so my biggest advice is double check your sources and be sure it's a reliable source that the story's coming from. I haven't been following it too much because I simply don't know what is truth and what is fabrication. Recently, Piers Morgan went on television and gave a scathing report about the royal couple, and it caused quite a stir. Generally, here's what I know, we're still experiencing fallout, the general opinion of the royal couple has since gone down, and that's all I know, and I would very much advise double-checking your sources just to be sure what you're getting is from a reliable source. It was announced early on Wednesday by the Royal Collection Trust that this summer in the UK, the various castles and palaces that are usually open to the public are now officially reopening. And to follow that up, Balmoral and Sandringham have announced plans to open up this summer as well. All these places are making preparations for the coming summer season, and in fact, the Royal Collection went on Twitter making a statement that tickets to tour Buckingham Palace are already selling out and they're having problems with their site because of the high traffic. They are doing things in limited capacity. Buckingham Palace right now, from what I saw, it's just the gardens and the grounds, and while they are opening things up again, it is in a limited capacity and they're trying to keep everybody safe. So if this interests you, One, I'm jealous, but two, (laughs) go to their website, theworldcollectiontrust.com, or their social media accounts. They've outlined everything in detail, especially on Twitter. And you too can experience in person some of the residences that we have been talking about on the podcast for the past few weeks. Before we get into today's topic, if you enjoy the podcast, now that we're done with news updates, if you enjoy the podcast, please take a moment to rate, review, subscribe, and share. It really helps as the podcast family continues to grow. So whatever platform you're on, if there is an option to rate and review, please, I would very much appreciate a review, especially a positive one. If you're also feeling generous and are inclined to want to donate to the podcast, links to do so are on Twitter and on the Anchor homepage. Your monthly donations are greatly appreciated. It allows me to get more research material for the podcast and um, invest in making this product the best it can be. And every time that we record, you will get a personal shout out from me and other accolades to show my appreciation to you. Lastly, if you want to suggest topics or stories that we can delve into for future episodes, you can send me an email at BritishRoyalFanPod at gmail.com. There's quite a lot of history, so if there's anything you want me to cover, please let me know. Continuing through our series on royal residences, today is one of the more irregular residences. Only one of these still exists in full capacity to this day, and it can be visited and toured by the public almost daily, year-round. It hasn't been used by a royal, or really anyone, in its traditional capacity in about 25 years. It served as a private home, official workplace, honeymoon location, and could be used in times of war. This residence is neither a part of the Royal Collection Trust, Historic Royal Palaces, or the Crown Estate, at least not anymore. It's been featured on the hit series, The Crown, and a lot of history has taken place while on board. You've seen the title, you've probably guessed properly, yes, today we are talking about the HMS Britannia, and other ships used as Royal Yachts. I personally love maritime history in conjunction to British Royal History, so grab your life belt, hunker down as we move off land and cast a course on board the hms britannia royal yachts have been important within the family and they have come and gone through the centuries there hasn't been an official royal yacht in the family since 1997 when the britannia was officially decommissioned as upkeep and maintenance on the yacht became too expensive travel in today's world has since changed and the royal family primarily uses either airplanes for travel outside the country or they use cars and or trains with travel within the country the hms britannia was very much a valued member within the royal family in terms of travel but let's talk about a few other royal yachts and how we got to the hms britannia long before britannia it was common for the royal family to commission a ship either from the royal navy or another merchant ship and use it for transportation, and it was just that transportation. In some cases, they may even commission an ocean liner for times for leisure and for a short trip. They wouldn't get the ocean liner to themselves, they would just charter a room and charge it that way, but at that point it's being used as an official royal function. The Various Sovereigns, of course, did have their favorite ships, as some got used more frequently than others. But uh, travel out of the country on water was infrequent enough that it didn't warrant a quote-unquote full-time royal yacht. When the ships were being used, they were called a royal yacht, but again, they weren't a quote 100% full-time, this is a yacht used only for the royal family and only for them. No, they were just chartered for a specific purpose. Some of the most notable ships that have been used by the royal family include the Victoria and Albert, and that name had many iterations of ships, the RMS Empress of Britain, the RMS Empress of Australia, and many more smaller warships. In total, since the restoration of the monarchy in 1660, there have been around 84 yachts, whether they are ocean liners used temporarily, military ships, merchant ships, or smaller yacht-type ships used by the royal family. They have been used most for royal tours. That is usually when a royal yacht would be commissioned. Royal tours, of course, require traveling very far. So what do you do? You you commission a ship, and they were used for royal tours in conjunction to travel for work in, at the time, the Empire, but now the Commonwealth. They have been chartered for transportation to get to other royal residences when trains were not as frequent and populous. At times, ships were used to travel to Osborne House and Balmoral Castle, but... More often than not, they were used primarily for royal tours. Entertaining would take place on board these ships as other heads of state, presidences, and other important government figures would join the royals on board. Now, they're going long distances here, so of course they would try to pick a larger ship, a safer ship, a faster ship, so that not only could the royals arrive on time, but they would be comfortable and could do adequate entertaining on board. One ship that was fairly famous that was used by the royal family in 1947 for their tour of South Africa was the HMS Vanguard. This tour took place during the winter and went right up, almost went right up, until the wedding of Princess Elizabeth and Lieutenant Philip Mountbatten. The HMS Vanguard was commissioned for the family to use. And this Royal Navy ship had a quite successful career in World War II, and it was known for being the largest and fastest ship in their fleet. It's known that the Royal family had quite an enjoyable time on board the Vanguard. Newsreels were released at the time, which can now be viewed on YouTube, showing the then princesses Elizabeth and Margaret playing deck games with the crew and the family, putting on pantomimes and other little comedy skits with the crew. and just interacting with the family, it looked like it was a very fun time. The vanguard would be commissioned again for the king to use towards the end of his life. It was thought by doctors at the time that going on board a ship and getting away from London to take in the sea air and get into the calm would help his health, and the trip was scheduled very early in 1952. However, the king passed away in February, and thus the trip was cancelled. Before Britannia, the most beloved royal yacht used by the family was the Victoria and Albert 3. It was commissioned by Queen Victoria, but she never used it. She was afraid of the ship's stability because it was the first royal yacht completely free of sails and was 100% steam-powered. It was ordered in 1899, and it would make its maiden voyage in 1901. While Queen Victoria never stepped foot on the ship, it would serve the royal family until 1939, when it was officially decommissioned, and subsequently scrapped in 1954. The Royal Yacht Victoria and Albert III served four sovereigns, but it mainly stayed in shallow water and would spend time in the Mediterranean Sea. While the family could use it for vacations, for official entertaining, it wasn't seaworthy to travel in larger open water, and thus a void was being created that hey we need a larger ship we need something to be used for official functions in the early 1950s there was the need for a royal yacht for the family to use in a post-world war ii england and a post-world war ii world in general the commonwealth was in need of attention and the monarchy was very different queen elizabeth took to the throne in 1952 and she needed to tour the territories and other realms within. A few days after ascending the throne, not only did she have the titanic task of now being sovereign, but she had to discuss and plan the royal yacht. Her father was the one who actually commissioned the ship, but it was her duty to actually finish it. John Brown and Company was the most famous shipyard in the world having built such famous liners as the RMS Queen Elizabeth and the RMS Queen Mary. The keel of this new, unnamed royal yacht was officially laid down in June of 1952. This yacht would go on to be one of the last fully riveted ships to be built with a remarkably smooth painted hull. She was officially launched on April 16, 1953. The ship's name was a closely guarded secret, only to be revealed when the Queen smashed a bottle of Empire wine and announced to the expecting and excited crowds, quote, I name this ship Britannia. I wish success to her and all who sail in her. The HMY Britannia is 412 feet in length with a beam or width of 55 feet and a height of 123 feet from the bottom of the keel to the top of the front mast. The yacht is a one-funnel ship with two masts, one forward and one aft and a top cruising speed of around 21.5 knots, which is about 24.5 miles per hour. She has five main decks that were used on board. For the family to use, there are, of course, the main state drawing room, the grand staircase, a state dining room, plenty of deck space, the sun lounge, which is known to be the queen's favorite room. She apparently had tea in there every morning at 8.30 on the dot as well as the royal bedrooms. The Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh had their own bedrooms and their own sitting rooms. The Prince and Princess of Wales had, of course, their own room. And additionally, there was a honeymoon suite on board. One aspect about the construction of the ship is that it is felt to be a more accurate reflection of the tastes of Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip. In the book, Elizabeth the Queen by Sally Bedell Smith, she goes into a little bit of detail about this, that being in this post-war England, there really was no desire or financial need to build a very extravagant yacht. And so being a completely blank slate, they could put their own taste and own actual uh, decor into the ship. The Duke of Edinburgh is known to have had a massive hand in the construction and layout of the Royal Yacht, which is in credit to his Royal Navy background and his knowledge. The ship is drastically different from the palaces and castles the family uses on a daily basis. This personal touch to Britannia made it feel even more like a personal home than a yacht. And of course, as previously said, England was still very, very much feeling the effects, of world war ii and lavish interiors were completely out of the question during its time britannia could have had a grand total of 250 guests on board in addition to the 21 officers and the 250 members of the crew that that's a very very large capacity of people on board the ship it was very much a well-oiled machine when on board The crew areas were, of course, known to be very nice. It had a fully stocked kitchen, crew areas for use like a mess hall, lounge, a bar, in addition to a full dry cleaner, a full hospital, and actually a garage on board the ship. The garage was used early on, but it subsequently stopped being used because it got to be too difficult to transport the official car for the family. It was known that they would bring a Rolls Royce with them to go on engagements and travel around if it was being used for official use, but it got to be too difficult to bring the car along because they'd have to actually dismantle sections of it and then reassemble it. And it just got to be too much. The Royal Family then started to charter cars, at the various ports of call, or would find other modes of transportation, and the garage on board was converted into a storage area for beer. While the ship had a main intention of being used for the official use of the royal family, it still was a member of the Royal Navy, and it also was fully equipped to be converted into a hospital ship to be used in times of war at a moment's notice. Britannia began her sea trials on November 3, 1953 off the west coast of Scotland. After a very successful completion, she was commissioned into the Royal Navy on January 11, 1954 on april 22nd britannia sailed into her first overseas port as she entered grand harbor malta during her 44 years in royal service britannia sailed the equivalent of once around the world for each year calling at over 600 ports in 153 countries including the united states australia canada and new zealand Outside of official functions, this ship was used for various family vacations and traveled most around Scotland and the Western Isles, but she really could go anywhere and she spent a lot of time in tropical waters as well. When she was being used, there would also be a Navy warship that would travel alongside Britannia to be sure the family was kept safe. So we have this splendid ship. What did the royals do on board? Well, there was plenty to do and in some cases it felt that there were, <laughs> there were too much stuff to do and maybe not enough time relaxing. The queen is said to have loved being on board Britannia, saying it was a place where she could quote, truly relax. Those who are close to other royals have come forward and said the same thing. The royal family loved Britannia, even more than other private residences like Sandringham and Balmoral. They were 100% away from royal work and engagements, but also the traditions that some of these residences hold, such as all the Highland traditions at Balmoral that we discussed in the episode. They were in a world that they 100% created so they could do whatever they want and create their own traditions. In addition, it was 100% away from the press, no one could get near the ship, no one could get on board the ship, and so they could be the most themselves and most at ease on board, which is why Britannia felt more like another family member than a ship. What the ship was being commissioned for at the time would determine what they could do and what could be done on board if it was being used for official functions or vacation or the military was using it. Of course, you have to think the queen's on board and the queen never has a day off, so she would stick to her very strict schedule and she would retire to her sitting room that in some ways doubled as her office at sea. There she would keep on top of her dispensary boxes and other notices from government to make sure that she stayed on track of her work as monarch. Other royals tended to have a lot more fun. For the young children, there would be a quote sea daddy assigned to the royal children that was a member of the crew to ensure that the children would be kept safe and occupied. It is alleged that it took a full team of nannies to keep Prince Charles and Princess Anne at bay and safe and (laughs) keep them away from the sides of the ship, or else they would have fallen overboard. There were lots of deck games to play. Water fights and a fun inflatable paddling pool could be blown up and installed on the veranda deck, which in sometimes, when deflated, could be turned into a makeshift water slide that they would put on one of the staircases… outside staircases, of course. During the summer months, the Royal Family would go on a Western Isles tour, known as their annual family holiday cruise around Scotland, It was there, they would go on treasure hunts, have picnics and barbecues in more secluded remote islands. There's a piano on board, and it is known that Princess Margaret and Diana, Princess of Wales, would go over and play music in the evenings, and they would entertain everybody including crew members. They also would put on little comedic sketches and just have fun entertaining themselves. Their course was space for reading and quiet time for tea. A former crew member went on record and said that the Queen Mother used to frequent the mess bar and she would drink her favorite drink of gin and dubonnet, and then she would go and personally cook bacon and eggs for the hungry crew members. So you can see that Britannia, the crew, and everybody, it was this wonderful big family. But also, There were chores to be done on board, to help the ship run smoothly, and the royal family would chip in and help. So that's why I said sometimes there's too much to do and not enough time relaxing, because it is still a full running ship and chores need to be done, and the royals would chip in. A few royal couples went so far as to honeymoon on board Britannia. These couples are Princess Margaret and Tony Armstrong-Jones, Princess Anne and Captain Mark Phillips, Prince Charles and Diana, Princess of Wales, And the last couple to do so was Prince Andrew and Sarah, Duchess of York. There is a conspiracy theory around royal couples honeymooning on on board Britannia, and the general consensus is that no royal couple should honeymoon on board Britannia because notice all the couples that were mentioned that honeymoon on board Britannia had a very tumultuous, unhealthy marriage that resulted in a very messy divorce. It is known that Diana did not have the most positive of experiences on board Britannia. Her and Charles had a few arguments on board, just on their honeymoon. But it's just something to note. All the royal couples that honeymooned on board Britannia divorced. As well as being a home away from home for the royals, Britannia had an official role to fill within the monarchy. Of course, she was used for royal tours, as transportation to get to and from their various locations, which was a way to keep the royals safe and in an environment that they knew most. But she was used for official entertaining and hosting state functions on board while on these tours. Britannia was also an ambassador for British business, promoting trade and industry around the globe. The British overseas trade missions were known as Sea Days on board Britannia and an invitation to come aboard uh, proved irresistible to the world's leading businesses and political figures. Much like how it's a great honor to go to Balmoral, it was a big honor to be invited on board Britannia, the overseas trade board estimated that around 3 billion pounds was made for the exchequer as result of commercial days on board Britannia between 1991 and 1995 alone. So Britannia proved very important for the british economy and business deals and international business deals a lot happened on board the ship she was known to be a wonderful setting for a lot of official engagements for tours and entertaining a lot of heads of state, especially american presidents u.s presidents that have been on board the royal yacht britannia include dwight d eisenhower gerald ford ronald reagan and bill clinton Britannia has seen official work as a hospital ship as well. So not only was she used as a vacation spot for the royal family, she was used for business for the monarchy, she was used as a very important role for official work and business, but she also got to fulfill her other duty as a hospital ship. At 8pm on January 17th, 1986, the royal yacht dropped anchor at Kwarmashar at, at Beach. A civil war had broken out in South Yemen, and ships were urgently required to evacuate British nationals and others that were trapped by the fighting and onslaught of war. As a non combat Royal Navy ship, the HMY Britannia entered territorial waters without further inflaming conflict, and everybody knew if you saw the ship in the water, you didn't go near it. She was helping people and not being used as a combat vessel. She was used as both a hospital ship and a ship to evacuate people. In total, around 1,000 people were safely evacuated while on board Britannia. The Royal Yacht has made some appearances in media as well, most notably The Crown, but also there are a few documentaries. While in The Crown it may seem like they actually filmed on board, they did not. Exterior shots of the ship were either brought to life digitally or through the use of a small model, and all interior shots were filmed on a sound stage, and they did their best to replicate the ship as best best they could to make it the most authentic. In the first season, they actually used some mid-century modern homes in England that they retrofitted and dressed up to look like the ship, but no scenes have been filmed on board the ship, even if it may look like it. Season four of The Crown really got the interiors of the ship right. So it was very satisfying to see. But the ship has also been featured in Royal documentaries and they have actually filmed on board. But those are official documentaries either talking about the ship itself or talking about specific points in history and referencing time on board the ship. And they will either show photos of it or actually film at the ship. One of the most famous shots of the ship itself was in the late 90s when Princess Diana greeted Princes William and Harry on board. She was wearing like a red houndstooth jacket, it was a very big deal, and she embraced them, and it was a wonderful moment, not only for her, but also for media and for the press, as that picture is… you can still find that to this day. In December of 1997, Britannia's time with the royal family came to an end. After about 44 years of service, the maintenance and updates being made to her were too frequent and getting to be too costly. The government subsequently intervened. At the request of the powers that be, Britannia was officially decommissioned. To us, this shouldn't be that much of a big deal. We don't really have emotional attachment to items such as this. But for the family, it was. It was a world that they 100% built themselves not property they inherited and had to adapt to, it was made by them, kind of for them. The ship evolved from being this location for vacations and official work to becoming another part of the family. When talking about Britannia, in documentaries, the faces of the royal family light up. They really loved the ship. And having it for 44 years, in some cases, almost their entire lives, it's a pretty big deal. It was a safe sanctuary for for the family, away from the insanities of court life, official duties, and the press. This was a very emotional moment for the family saying goodbye to the Britannia. It was the end of an era, and there is a photo of what looks like the queen wiping a tear off her face during the decommissioning ceremony. While other members of the royal family have used Britannia, most recently, Zara Phillips hosted a reception the night before her wedding in 2011 on board the ship. However, the Queen has never stepped foot on board Britannia again. Can you visit Britannia? Yes, you can. The yacht is now owned by the City of Edinburgh, and it is run and managed by its own trust and is a part of the core collection of the National Register of Historic Vessels, the official register of the most important British ships in existence. It's open to the public and and tourists almost year-round, and it's kept in fantastic shape. All the clocks on board have stopped at 3.01pm, which is the official time the Queen left Britannia for the last time. Private rooms have been perfectly preserved, and instead of walking through them, Uh, Glass, walls, and windows have been put in so we the public can peer in, but the room can be perfectly preserved. There are many tours one can embark on, and most, if not all, the ship is available to be toured. You can't step foot in the Queen's bedroom, the Queen's sitting room, the rooms used by the Duke of Edinburgh, and the Prince and Princess of Wales, but there are windows there that you can peer through. You can get souvenirs on board and enjoy a really nice cup of tea from, from what I've heard. The tea room on board Britannia was opened in 2009 and since has been quite successful. I've, I've heard, overall, touring Britannia is a quite enjoyable experience. They also have quite fun social medias. Their Instagram account is quite fun. Whoever runs it knows what they're doing and has a fun sense of humor. In recent years, some of the official spaces, like the official stateroom and state dining room, have been able to be rented out for private functions, so even you too can have your own royal evening on board Britannia. Britannia is a royal residence even more personal than Balmoral. It was a location of fun, work, comedy, love, official entertaining and business, and so much more. The list goes on and on when referring to Britannia. Britannia is an example of a royal residence being more than a residence. It was a member of the family. While there is no longer an official yacht for the royals, there has been talk among the people of wanting to bring the tradition back. In fact, some wealthy members of the public have donated money on their own to try to get a royal yacht back. They did it on their own volition. The family did not pressure them, but it is highly unlikely that a yacht will ever grace the House of Windsor again. Times have changed too much, and transportation and getting things around has changed too much to where having a yacht is not feasible anymore. As much as I would love to have that as someone who understands the value of having a private space made all by yourself... I understand the value of it within the family, but for the greater public, it's just not feasible anymore. But on that note, that, dear listeners, is the story of the HMY Britannia, Her Majesty's Yacht Britannia, and other royal yachts that have been used by the family. My sources for today's episode are the official website for Her Majesty's Yacht Britannia, Tatler.com, and Wikipedia. If you made it this far, thank you for stopping by the podcast today. If you want to email me to let me know how I'm doing or to suggest topics for future episodes, you can email me at BritishRoyalFanPod at gmail.com. Any and all recommendations are welcome. You can head over to Twitter and follow me there at fanatic underscore royal. I really want to interact with all of you as best I can to try to make the podcast the best it can be, but I also post updates about the podcast and what the Royal Family are doing in real time. If you are feeling generous and so inclined and would like to make a donation to the podcast, you can do so with the links provided on Anchor and on Twitter. Your monthly donations really help make the podcast the best it can be, and I'm really grateful for anything you can donate. It allows me to get other materials such as books and access to other periodicals and news outlets so i can stay updated with the royals as best i can head over to anchor google Podcasts, spotify apple podcast and more rate review subscribe and share so that we play into various algorithms and more people can know that the podcast family exists and they can join it i'm very excited for what the future has have a great rest of your day stay safe and stay healthy out there